Guys, uh, there's a good number of you on right now. There's about 130 or so people that are registered for tonight's event. Usually on live webinars, about half of the people make it on. So we're probably expecting about between 50 to 65 by the time this thing gets actually rolling. Uh, but thank you for spending uh, this Thursday evening. For most people, this is like wind down day, uh, heading into the weekend. And you know, a lot of you probably might be on autopilot tomorrow. Uh, us as entrepreneurs, on the other hand, uh, you know, every day is another, uh, it's a day of blessing. You get to create value and, uh, and basically write your own check. So, um, you know, we love this space. We really take a lot of pride in it. You don't see a lot of like, you know, corporate executives or attorneys coming on celebrating and sharing, how do I get where I got to, right? Yeah, you have mentorship programs and stuff, but this is one of the unique things I find in the real estate industry is that people operate, generally speaking, with a mindset of abundance, where they wanna give back, they wanna share, they wanna tell you about their story because honestly, you don't go to college, you don't go to high school with textbooks that talk about how to become a real estate investor. These are things that you have to pick up at Barnes and Nobles, you go to a seminar and it's specialized education that you get and you learn afterwards. And, and quite honestly, in a lot of cultures, I don't know about the Italian culture, Mel, but yeah. like in our culture, you're either going to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know, yeah. that, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, like real estate is like akin to selling cars or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and I mean, now everybody's made it glamorous with Instagram and all kinds of stuff, um, you know, and HGTV. And it looks like the cool thing to do, especially as a side hustle, but let's jump right into this. First of all, I want to introduce myself. My name is Shamal Malik. I'm with, um, uh, the REI bros, podcast show. My brother and I, uh, we recently started this to be able to showcase people that are crushing it in the business, talk to you a little bit about their journey so that you could take some learnings from it so that you can hopefully condense your own path to success. And, um, and that's the reason that we're doing this, uh, not because we have extra time. Uh, the uh, other thing that I want to share with you guys, I'm going to share my screen here real quick. Sorry for all the shameless plugs. Um, but we've been teaching real estate investing since 2014. Um, and what we did, especially with COVID, is we codified all of our courses and, and curriculum. And like I was saying, they don't actually have like real estate investing 101 in your undergrad classes, right? When you apply and, and, and enroll at Rutgers. Uh, but we've created, you know, from phone scripts to the contracts that we've spent thousands, uh, tens of thousands, of dollars with attorneys crafting to make them investor-friendly spreadsheets and all of that. Um, the most comprehensive, we feel, real estate investing curriculum. If you go to this website, the reibros.com and listen to what some of these people that have attended our seminars and workshops and mentorship programs over the years, they will tell you how detailed we are. Like from starting your LLC and getting your business card all the way up to getting your first deal to then scaling to a, uh, you know, a proper and sound uh, seven-figure business. Um, so we talk about all of that. And one of the things that we're, you know, there's some freebies on here that you can go out and get, um, you know, seven ways to build a large rental portfolio, 51 ways to uh, find motivated sellers and so on and so forth. But one of the things that we're really excited about is this right here. And this could, I, I see this as like a gateway drug for a lot of new people is that if you don't wanna spend a lot of money on um, real estate education, 
join the community. We've got a WhatsApp group that's set up that's buzzing with, um, at this point, very seasoned investors. Those Many of them have gone through our program. Um, and now they are you know, big investors in their own right. Some of them are doing uh, commercial strip malls. Some of them are doing big multifamily syndications and uh, you know, built out big wholesale operations and, and rehabbing and so on and so forth. And all of these folks are in there to help you, including myself and my brother and our head of operations here, Fike Siddiqui. Um, and so uh, join this, join the WhatsApp group because we wanna get more people on board there sharing ideas, masterminding, and so on and so forth. But, you know, raising capital, how to build a rental portfolio, marketing, wholesaling, rehab, all the, the, the basics of, um, of uh, how to do real estate investing is in there. Uh, this is our title company, Apex Title Group. Um, if you need uh, title searches and, uh, you know, title commitments, we've got a uh, very seasoned staff that takes care of all of that. That's apextitlegroup.com. Um, if you're a wholesaler, and you are really good at finding deals, but you have trouble selling your properties, we've got over 60,000 buyers in our um, marketing engine. Um, and so we've got you know, somewhat of a proprietary method. We go through 11 different uh, marketing channels to sell deals. Um, and we're, you know, along with many others, we're, we're probably one of the largest wholesalers in the state of New Jersey. Um, and, uh, and it's because of the processes and things like that, that we've learned over the last 12 years of doing the business. But if you're a wholesaler looking to sell your deals, we've got 1031 exchangers that are constantly coming through our pipe, mom and pop landlords, retail buyers, rehabbers, you name it. We can help move your deal and we do this as a JV. Um, and then we've got a roofing company also. And this is interesting because we go through your insurance company, uh, and, and see that if you will qualify for a full replacement of your roof if it's, in, uh, if it's in bad shape. So we've got a roofing company that does all of that. Now that we've got you know, that out the way and we've paid some bills, uh, I wanna get started with uh, the actual topic for tonight. And we've got about 50 people on now. Uh, so welcome to all you guys and, and for spending this evening with us to learn and invest in your own education. I've got a very special guest. You know, sometimes we go out of state and we cross state boundaries to find people like this. But I think Mel, when we talk about heavy hitters, I I did a panel in January of 2020, right before the the um, the the COVID pandemic struck, and we did a debate: landlords versus um, uh, real estate uh, wholesalers and rehabbers, right? And Mel was probably, I think, hands down the shining star, 300 plus rental units. That in itself puts you in like a completely different echelon. People have fives, tens, twenties, thirties, forties, right? Like sub 100 units. 300 puts Mel in, I think, definitely a different stratosphere, right? That's the one. Then because of all the passive cash flow that he has from those sort of businesses, he's able to then go out and do Airbnb which you know, we wanna dive into today and then mobile home parks and all the many things that I don't even know what he's doing behind the scenes. So Mel, welcome to uh, our little podcast show here. Awesome. Why don't we start, um, you know, yeah, say, say what's up, hello. To all what's up guys, guys. thanks for having me, man. And nice first of all, you, um, you know, condolences to you uh, for you, uh, the passing of your late father um, you. and also taking time, you know, uh, despite that to still uh, join us. 
Uh, and I understand it's, you know, for you, it's a distraction, things like that. But I wanted to take a minute to, you know, recognize you. that somebody you. beloved to you has passed away and that uh, he brought you up, right? And he poured himself into you and you are the man that you are probably from seeing his work ethic and what he was. Talk a little bit about like where you grew up, your childhood, yeah. um, what your parents, the role that they played in your life. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, actually, you know, I'm a first generation Italian. Both my parents came over from Italy. Um, so I'm the eldest of four. And obviously the, the burden lays on my shoulders because they didn't speak English. And I had to learn from a very young age uh, how to manage things, run things. You know, my dad bought some properties. I was dealing with mortgage brokers at 11 years old. I was wow. talking with realtors at 11 years old. My dad passed away this week at 81 years old, still doesn't speak English. Um, so basically I had to manage everything, uh, since a very young age, uh, from, you know, previewing properties, mortgages, refinances and stuff like that. So my dad worked in, in a factory and he owned a few properties here and there. And, you know, like I was, and it's funny because my literally, if you read rich dad, poor dad, my life is exactly that. My mom's side of the family is very heavy on education, you know, become a doctor, become a lawyer. Um, everyone's educated on that side, went to college, valedictorian, summa cum laude. Um, and then my dad's side of the family, I don't think anyone graduated eighth grade. Uh, <laughs> and they all owned uh, construction companies, yeah. butcher shops, real estate. Um, yeah. A few of them even spoke English um, and they all did very well for themselves. So actually, you know, the rich dad, poor dad is my entire life uh, growing wow. up. But yeah, so. Nice. You know, learning, what, what part of Jersey did you grow up? I grew up in Bergen County, Hackensack. Okay. Uh, all right. So what's that? High and all that? Yeah, very multicultural environment. You know, everyone around us is Hispanic, African American, Italian, Polish. Um, nice. So it was, a, it was a great upbringing, that's for sure. And my kids are in the Maywood school district. Same thing, multicultural. I love that. Um, yeah. So it's very good to in, intertwine with multi. You know, just to learn from different people. Yeah, man, because it's a microcosm of what the real world is, right? And then exactly. you get to. You know, if you're just in like a little bubble, then that's all you know how to how to operate with those type of people. But yeah, exactly. you got to see different cultures, taste a little bit of everything. Exactly. And, and yeah, instead of traveling all over the world, you've got the United Nations like right there in your backyard. Exactly. Here, right. You're it's pot. Exactly. So, yeah. so it's great to grow up in that environment. And I want my kids to grow up in that environment. So, um, so you know, and, that, and learning from him and their work ethic, my dad worked, my mom worked, um, you know, I watched them work full, to, you know, nonstop. And it kind of gave me, when I started young, is like, well, you what, know, what'd your mom do? She was a school teacher. Okay. Okay. She was a school teacher. Uh, she came here when she was, I think, 16 years old. She spoke English, still broken English uh, till to this day, but she was uh, managed to speak, uh, she taught Italian and Spanish. Um, okay. So you looked at both parents. How did you decide which way you're going to gravitate your life towards? Because your dad was more blue collar. Your yeah. mom was more like get a degree and then there's a path after that. How did yeah. you figure out for yourself or were they like imposing on you that this is what you're going to do, Mel? No, they said I had to go to college. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want right. to go to college. Um, but I did, I, you know, from a young age, even I was, I was working full time, going to school full time. Um, when I was 17 years old, I was working at Walgreens and uh, 18 years old, they made me manager. Uh, okay. so I was the youngest manager for the Walgreens pharmacy company. Um, and I was going to college, wow. seeing all the time, corporate law. And um, I was like, all right, this isn't for me. One of my college professors, I would sleep in class, get up and debate my corporate law and go back to sleep. And he's like, dude, you're <laughs> fantastic. He's like, how did you do that? Yeah. And one day he took me to his office as a mentor, he's mentoring me. And I was like, 
you got here. I got there like seven o'clock in the morning. He didn't leave till eight o'clock at night. I'm like, this is not for me, man. I was like, I can't sit in this goddamn office all these hours. And I literally yeah. walked out of scene hall and okay. I didn't tell my parents um, oh. and they yelled at me. Uh, they found out like a few weeks later and I was like, I dropped out. I couldn't do this anymore. And then I actually went back to school and I was like, what's the easiest thing I can do? Leave early and have the summers off. And I became a teacher. So I didn't become a teacher. <laughs> nice. I just wanted the minimal amount of work. Yeah. Um, were you grading? Degree. Were you the grading papers, or were you just like blindly giving grades? I was to a people? gym teacher. I got the least of. <laughs> oh, gym oh. teacher. <laughs> uh, nice. I was like, I don't want to do anything. So nice. I became a gym. I was a school teacher, so I taught gym and technology at the time. So I'm always very okay. Uh, so I, I've seen some of your uh, Facebook posts, right? Like now you're heavy into working out and getting your health back and stuff. Yeah. And I saw like back in the day, you were like buff. Yeah. And stuff, right? So that that was your. Uh, Okay, so yeah. so you, less cannolis, less calzones at that time. You yeah. were watching your stuff. Okay. Well, right. I was always into fitness. I always liked okay. how, how the body can actually, I always loved bodybuilding. It's like to watch a muscles grow like a beast. It's something yeah. I always admired. <laughs> I was like, wow, it's crazy what the body can do. Mm. Um, and I, I gained most of my weight with building the businesses and having kids. Yeah. I had no time whatsoever to yep. invest in my health. I, uh, I think so a lot of us can resonate yeah, with that I, I gained easily 100 pounds through that time frame so i'm yeah. like you know what now i got time on my hands during covid yeah. i was like we laid i laid low just collected the rents warm by i was like you know what it's time to uh, focus on my health again because i had a huge scare with a panic attack thinking it was a heart attack mm. and i was like that, that's not going to happen to me so uh -huh. go back to you're a gym teacher so you, you know now you're living the life because that's what you were like yeah. kind of etched out for yourself you're like this is perfect i get the summers off leave early, all of that, a couple of jumping jacks and push-ups, and I don't even have to do it myself. I just tell the kids to do it, right? Exactly. And, then, uh, and then you're out of there. Exactly, yeah. So basically, I was, you know, I was teaching. I taught for five years. Um, I was out of there by 2, 33 o'clock. I was which, teaching uh, in Jersey which, City. Which school district? Was that also in Jersey? I was in Jersey City at the time. So okay. Oh, okay. And Jersey City was not like what Jersey City is today, like all posh and everything. Yeah, when I was there, it was 2001. It was like higher learning. Yeah, basically. <laughs> they, used, they, they used to break into the teachers' uh, cars and steal the ashtray change. That's how bad Jeez. it was. Wow. And I was buying three families for $75,000. I was buying- In Jersey City? Families, yeah. For $125,000. 25K a door? Huh? Wow, man. 25K a door. 25K a door. And the seller's that, payment- That's like people bucks. that I talk about today, like I invested in Bitcoin when it was $5. Basically, yeah. Like, like exactly. yeah, wow, that's crazy. Okay, so, so what right, year is this? Like, what years are these? This was oh one. This was actually oh two to like oh four oh five. Okay, uh, right and that the, bug was inside of you because your dad had properties. And my so dad you had, had that property, okay. exactly. So and he my got dad, you like bought, exposed I, to that. Yep, and my dad, okay. I bought my first property in Jersey City, a three family. I paid seventy five thousand dollars, and my dad's like, "Why the hell are you buying over there? It's crazy, it's dangerous, and it was really dangerous." Yeah, and um, where, where did he have his properties? You know, my in Bergen family. County. Okay. And Zach Garfield okay. and stuff like okay. that. Okay. And, okay. Um, so we bought a property, we closed on it, and literally we went to, to, the, to the property after the closing and it was taped off. They murdered somebody at the street, up at the oh, corner yeah. of the property. So I couldn't even go to the, to the closing to the property. Yeah. Um, so, and anyway, that, that didn't scam me. <laughs> so didn't you didn't care. do the walkthrough. Yeah, huh? you, didn't do the walk, you didn't do the walkthrough. You couldn't. We did the walkthrough the day before, oh. but the day of the closing, somebody was killed at the okay. corner. So. Unbelievable. And right. um, so that happened. So we moved so did that delay your, uh, uh, I guess the rental got delayed? 
No, that was a turnkey property practically, just spackling paint. It wasn't even, you know, they were selling oh. properties. The people wanted to get out of Jersey City back then. Mm, it was okay. like okay. sellers playing closing costs. Uh, downtown, it was downtown by Newport Center Mall. My brother was working in a Newport Center Mall. It was mm. literally Newport Center Mall, drug dealers and prostitutes and flat yes. land. Did, and did you pick that property because um, the price was just cheap? And so you and you could get it on your teacher salary at the time. Yeah, it was or cheap was it more like salary. I feel like I feel like Jersey City is gonna go through a renaissance. I, I that, that was probably nowhere nowhere no. in your uh, horizon. Nowhere, no, yeah, okay. nowhere in my horizon. That, that was how'd you happen. how'd you finance it? Seventy five thousand people. A lot of FHA. people think wow, that's a lot of money. FHA, okay. FHA, okay. yeah. So, so you house hacked it like three point five percent. Yeah, three point five percent. I bought one. My brother bought one. My sister bought one. My other brother bought one. So we're just buying properties okay. like that. Then we bought some for six families for a buck twenty-five. Uh, so right now we own. I own about eighty-one doors in Jersey City, and I don't think okay. I own more than two hundred thousand dollars or two hundred fifty thousand dollars in any of them. Um, wow. Okay. So that we got into. That's across like maybe ten to fifteen buildings. Yeah, rough. Yeah, that was about, yeah. yeah about fifteen buildings. I got to double check one second. Okay. Um, those, and then we did some condo conversions also back in the day. Okay. Worked out really well for us. And then like 05, 06, that market was buying. Then I started buying in Newark. Um, that market back then I was paying maybe 180, 200,000 for three families. They boomed up to like 350, 400,000. What turned you on to Newark? What made you make that move? One of my friends, he was a, uh, he worked for Jordan Barris. Okay. Uh, yeah. He's like, Hey, look, look into this market. I own a bunch of real estate here. It's a good deal. I like the section eight. Cause that's what I was doing in Jersey city. Mm -hmm. um, and he just got into the Newark market, you know, central ward, South mm -hmm. 12th street back in the time of central Avenue. So we just started buying there like crazy. Um, and then we just kind of grew the portfolio and just like quit teaching at the time. How'd you uh, finance all of these deals? So 3.5% on the FHA, I get that. But then what yeah. about everything else? Cause Everything else is not going to be a primary. It was regular right? bank loans, really. That's why okay. I didn't learn about hard money till like me. So you had your W two. You had your W two to bank yeah. off of, my and you could get what up to work. up to ten properties or whatever your debt to income ratio would uh, yeah. allow. Okay, yeah. cool. So we did that, and then then I didn't learn about hard money till one of my some these guys we was it called we buy ugly houses whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Some guys Home that investors. Huh. Home investors, right? Home investors. With, yeah, with the yeah. little caveman guy. Yeah, yeah. So two yeah. two guys that were with them, I guess they were lending hard money. And I was like, that's how I learned about hard money. And then they started investing in some of our deals, lending us hard money. And we just kept buying using their funds. Um, nice. And then we kept growing from there, really. You know? So you're in Jersey City and Newark is where most of your holdings are, right? Mostly and I have a, a, in those two cities alone, I have just about 280 something doors. Wow. Uh, okay. So, so I have some uh, in Bayonne okay, now, so, some in Hackensack, South Hackensack. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, so now you bought some in your hometown and stuff too. Yeah, we bought some okay, in the cool. Burton County area. So it worked out. You got well. you got this saying that you're famous for, um, Section Eight never late, right? <laughs> I, I love exactly. that saying. It's so true too. But yeah. a lot of people have uh, misnomers and misconceptions about yeah. Section Eight the the type of tenant profile you know sometimes people think that oh it's a racial thing right like well guess what in the midwest it's uh mostly white folks that yeah. are on section eight it's not a racial thing at all yeah. it has to do with a certain uh you know socioeconomic um you know rung that mm -hmm. uh folks don't qualify for a certain income level and then depending on the makeup of that neighborhood then of course yeah they're going to be either african-american or hispanic or whatever it is but it's not just that. Also, it's also handicapped folks 
and folks that are elderly that get on yeah. Section 8. And Section 8 may pay some or they may pay all of the rent. Yeah. But a lot of people think like, oh, you you rent to Section 8, they're going to tear up your house. They're going to punch walls in the drywall and, and all kinds of things. What would you say about that considering? Well, first of all, what percentage of your units are Section 8? 80 and plus. 80%. That's, so that's huge, right? Yeah. Um, why are you so heavy on it? Section 8 is never late. <laughs> I was like, unless <laughs> the government goes out of business, I'm out of business. You know what I mean? So that's really and what, do you, what do you say to the folks that say like, oh, well, these people are like, oh, they're going to uh, tear up my place. They're like animals and, and all kinds of stuff. I've right? had what, cash payers tear up, tear up my place. You, know, you just got to look at it. You're dealing with people, right? It doesn't matter where they come from. Um, and statistically, 95% of the people are good, very good people. That's statistics, yeah. no matter where they're coming from. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, don't get me wrong. You know, unfortunately, a lot of these people were dealt a bad hand um, mm -hmm. or the way they grew up They're like there's, you know, how they were raised and whatnot. Or they're just accustomed yeah. to the systems that basically the system. I used to tell my students when I was a school teacher, Section 8 is legal segregation. If you fall into that system, that's exactly what they're doing to you, um, yeah. unfortunately. Um, but if they grow up in that system, they're used to that system and, you know, they, and they don't want to get out of that system. I've had mm -hmm. student parents tell their kids when I was a teacher. Why are you learning? You're going on Section Eight, like that's that they told their students that. I mean, their kids. Um, so, but at the end of the day, to me, when I was teaching in Jersey City, I remember I drove one of my students home after a basketball game, and he, I, I pulled up to his house. It was on Virginia Avenue in Jersey City. And he's like, "That's my house." I'm like, "Get the fuck out of here!" I was like, "That's your house. The things run down." You know what I mean? Good kid, good family. Father and mother both involved. You know, if he got to be in a test, his parents are in the classroom within 10 seconds. And like this poor kid's growing up in the slums. Um, so my goal was, hey, listen, you know what? I just want to provide quality housing to these people. Why should he have to go home to a piece of crap house just because his mother's on Section 8 or whatever the case may be? You know, these slumlords. And if you're I have signs in front of my building, tired of your slumlord, good landlord for good tenants. Um, so... I've had tenants for me since the beginning. I had a you found you found a competitive advantage in the market. And yeah. you're like, I'm gonna serve these folks and treat them like human beings that they are with dignity and respect. Exactly. And in return, they're gonna treat my property right as well. Exactly. So that 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 that's not just a it, of course it's human decency, but it's also a business decision to do that, right? Exactly. And uh and uh and they've taken care of you. Uh, exactly. on the flip side, right? All right. That's exactly awesome. how it is. My, my dad had a tenant for Section 8 for 22 years. We sold that property and she literally cried. I watched her yes. kids grow up. Her kids had kids and I watched them grow up. And when we sold the property, she was like dead in tears. And she, till mm -hmm. to the day, we sold that property for years. She still text messages me. How you doing, Mel? How's everything going? Buildings mm -hmm. that I sold in Newark, the tenants call me that I sold. This landlord sucks. I want to move into one of your apartments. So we have literally yeah. waiting lists uh, for yeah. tenants to move in. And, they, and they, listen, you treat people with respect, they're going to treat you with respect. That's it. Yeah. There's no buts about it. You're dealing with yeah. humans. It doesn't matter yeah. the color of their skin or whatever the case may be or how they grew up. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I mean, we we make, uh, you know, we, we post memes and things like that on the first of the month, like rent's due and things like that. And of course, yeah. we're joking around. Of course. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is a people's business and you're dealing with human beings. And understand that, not everybody's in a position where somebody hits a pothole. Now they got to make a decision if they're paying rent this month, or they're going to, uh, you know, take care of the take care of their axle. 
their wheel axle and, and put a tire on their car because they still got to get to work in order to, again, pay you your rent, right? Yeah. And so some people will be like, no, let's file eviction right away. Well, yeah. no, maybe if they've been with you for a year or two, you put them on a payment plan and, and help them get back into it or, or whatever it is and work yeah. with them. Because like you said, it's a people's business. How do you deal? And this is one of the things I love too that I've seen you post about is you deal with maintenance requests right away. Why is that important for retention? Why is that important for uh, just creating a good overall experience? Because maintenance requests is the number one reason that people leave their landlords, right? So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I own a construction company. Uh, so I have guys that live in Newark and Jersey City area. And again, if you take care of your property, they're going to take care of the property. That's basically what it was done. If you show the tenants you don't care, they're not going to care. So yeah. that's, again, it just boils down to, if you're going to pull up to a crappy looking building and this is your home, you're going to treat it like crap. If yeah. you're going to pull up to a nice building with freshly painted hallways, you know, landscaped or cleaned up, um, you know, if there's a leak or something, it, it's not leaking for two months or three months, um, they're going to take care of you. That's basically, yeah. it's simple common sense. That's really what yeah. it boils down to. It's 100%. You know, it's, it's, a two, it's a two-way street and a lot of people treat it as like i'm the landlord so i'm superior and they're the tenant and they're inferior than me yeah. right and if you just switch that to this that's more of a partnership yeah. then it you know the tango goes a lot better so and even uh, construction company with my guys you know it's like they're I'm, they're unloading the truck sometimes i'm there unloading the truck with them you know what i mean i never yeah. act like i'm better than anybody you know what I mean? Yeah. And they respect that. You respect them, they respect you. It's just what it boils down to. And like I said, I got over 300 doors in Newark and literally one tenant in all those years destroyed one of my apartments. And she was a sweetheart lady with five, six kids who she had no control over. You know? Yeah. And, she, and yeah. unfortunately, you know, and she would cry on the phone to me about her kids and she had no control whatsoever. They were just crazy teenagers. But unfortunately, you know, you had to do what you had to do. And that's why I mean, teenagers not. will be teenagers, right? So, I mean, that that's understandable. But, yeah. you know, it's not a tenant that's acting out of spite because you didn't treat them right for exactly. this many number of years. And they're like, all right, well, he's evicted me. So screw him. I'm going to bang up the house and, exactly. and then, you know, yeah. run away in the middle of the night. How did you, um, did the construction company, was that like a byproduct of just having this many number of units? And yeah. so you had like a handyman working here and there. And you're like, hey, I'll, I'll just put you on payroll um, yeah. and get you more jobs. Yeah, we're just, you know, we're buying and flipping houses and then we're buying probably five, six properties a month between like 2010 and 2017. And we're just hauling ass with buying them properties. So I was like, you know, I'm going to rely on subcontractors. Yeah, I'll be there Monday. Which Monday are you coming? You don't even know when they show up. Um, yeah. So when you started building a team, we had, you know, over 25 employees full time going working with us. Uh, it was just easier, easier to manage the jobs, oversee the jobs. Everyone was on payroll there Monday through Saturday. Um, you know, so it just boils in again, you know, at, at 17, I'm 18 years old. I was managing the Walgreens. I can manage, yeah. you know, people, people that from an early age, I know to manage people. Yeah, um, past so, life prepped you for this. Exactly. Yeah. So at the end of the game, I was like, let's just build a construction company. And it worked out to our best, you know, uh, to obviously worked off to, the bring, to bring it to bring it in house and have more bring control it in house, that. Exactly. Yeah, aspect yeah. of it nice so. nice um and in terms of uh now that construction company you got to keep them busy right yeah. so if there's not much activity going on in your properties or you're not buying 
uh, you know, at, at the clip that you were buying before, yeah. how did you continue to keep them busy with jobs? Yeah, we just worked by referral with some other investors who needed some work done, uh, friends and family who needed a bathroom kitchen remodel, really. Okay. Um, really so these became like additional plans. revenue streams for you. Exactly. Right? Like it was, you, it was already like under your nose. You're like, well, I can monetize this and yeah. do people's kitchens and, and all that. And you're not really picking up the hammer. You're just sending yeah. the guys there, right? Exactly. So we just did stuff like that. And it's literally just based on referral. That's what it was. I didn't even advertise anywhere. I didn't go crazy. So then a lot of the stuff I was doing was like two or three Ks. It was doing three Ks of like section eight. You're going to get paid. I'm not chasing people for money. The bank's going to cut the check to me. Uh, so it's just a matter of getting the job done. So we're doing, a, I would say, probably a good 50 or 60% of our construction. Uh, the last three years was probably two or three Ks for the most part. Working oh, with two or three Ks. Okay. and real estate agents and stuff like that. So. I understand how the systems work with the banks. We have the funds to front the money because really two or three Ks might do two, three draws. Um, so if I yeah. do a $150,000 project, I can fund a $100,000 job and wait to get paid. Uh, most right. contractors can't do that. Um, so it, we're, and again, it's like section eight, you're gonna get paid. So just finish the job, provide quality service and you're gonna get paid, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, and is, and is there like a higher profit margin in that business in the two or three K? That's probably the same, I would say. You know what I mean? It's, I want to go. I'm not, I'm not posing anybody. You know what I mean? If my guys right. are keeping busy, I'm making a few dollars. You know, I got, let's just say I got seven crews out and each crew makes me, you know, two, three thousand dollars a month. That's fourteen thousand, twenty one thousand dollars a month to, you know, visit a job site maybe once a week or something like that. So right, right, right. I'm not looking you manage for all of this. I mean, it sounds like a very busy operation. You manage most of it from your house. Like well, I, I don't have an office. I don't, I don't understand how some of these guys got 20 apartments. So here's my office. What the fuck are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I was like, you better you be in the home. Everything from the, from the home office. So you don't even have an office expense. You don't need it. No. no right from home. home. That's my truck and my house. That's about it. That's it. Nice. Yeah. Your pajamas are like your work uniform. Yeah, yeah. It's my sweatpants when I'm at the gym. <laughs> okay. I hope you have pants on right now. I'm doing like Kevin O'Leary right now. I, I get a little like, you know, okay up here, but I've got like Adidas pants on on the bottom. So keep the sweatpants on. Well, talk about, um, you've got a, a huge body of work at this point, right? Mm -hmm. With your the resume that you built out in real estate. Best deal that you ever did. Maybe it was the juiciest, uh, whatever it was. Best deal that you ever did. The best one was probably, I think maybe five, six years ago. I bought a fire damaged seven unit in Jersey City. I How'd you find it? A, huh? How'd you find it? Just driving past it and then that contact was, the I, owner? I thought, I, I forgot how, I tell you the truth, I don't even remember how I got that one. Okay. Um, but I paid, it was 150 I paid for it. Okay, um, fire damaged. about 400,000 into it. Um, we renovated, we literally bought it, got the permits, did the renovations, Finished, got the CO in seven months. And if you know Jersey City, that's almost oh, wow. impossible. Okay. Mm. But I was up at six o'clock in the morning, went down with my electrician, HVAC guy, plumber, and everything to the housing, to the building department, to have the meeting with the contract, with the inspectors. Because if you ever done Jersey City, you know, they always kick shit back. I was like, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? I had the permits approved in two weeks. And mm. we were finished in seven months, start to finish. Um, so we paid that. We, we were all in for about six hundred thousand. We rented each unit for about nineteen hundred dollars. Um, it was a cash cow for us. That worked really well, and we ended up selling that for one point three million dollars, like three years later, four years later, nice. which now is worth hell a lot more. But you know, 
Wait, so you put 400K into it. The purchase was how much? 150. 150. Okay, so 550 all in. And then on the back end, you sold it for 1.3. 1 1.3. 1 and were you million. cash flowing along the way when you? Um, oh, yeah, we're cash flowing 2,000 a month. On that oh, deal. nice. Yeah, okay. it was definitely cool. cash. We're collecting, I think maybe three apartments were complete cash flow at 6,000 a month almost. And the rest was debt service. Had yeah. most of your strategy been buy with hard money on the front end, renovate, stabilize, get the rent, and then burr out of it and then get, you know, put the permanent 30, 30 yep. year financing on it. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Do you work with like the, the bigger banks on the permanent financing or some of the local community banks? Most of the, right now we're working with, uh, so we're buying bigger assets. So we're buying 110 units in Illinois. Uh, so that when we're using Fannie and Freddie financing agency debt, um, mm -hmm. we have a mobile home park that we bought in Indiana. Um, uh, cause when you get into like those Midwest States, um, it's hard to go with Wells Fargo, Bank of America, those bigger guys, cause they don't know the markets. You always had to go very niche credit unions or local banks. Um, yeah. so, you know, and so that's usually who we're working with right now. A lot of the local banks in those market areas for the most part. Um, got it. Got it. Even the mobile home park that we bought, that was a home run deal because we bought it. Uh, from two investors that had no clue how to, what they're doing. Uh, it was two young brothers. They were just buying flip homes. They figured out we'll buy this and keep it as a cash cow. Uh, we bought it was 66 lots. We paid 440 for it. And we, I was like, we couldn't get financing because eight, I would say probably 60% of the park was vacant. No one's mm -hmm. going to give you financing on that. So I was like, listen, let me call your debt servicer who's on it. It was a local bank. I call the president of the bank, picks up the phone. That's how small it is out there. And he's like, he's like, oh, listen, we're looking at this park. Um, we're real estate investors from New Jersey, New York. And um, we want to just assume his mortgage. Can we, or well, can you finance us the deal? And he's like, please do. These guys haven't paid us in six months. <laughs> so we assume, I negotiated the assumption of the mortgage, got better interest rate got interest only for 12 months. And basically we came to the closing table with $25,000 to take over the park. Mm. Um, so wow. we like just assume Killer. whatever the closing costs are. So we used our cash to, you know, upgrade the sewer lines, the water lines and stuff like that. So. What, what turned now, you on to mobile home parks? So let, let's segue into that now. Cause you already, you know, gave that uh, case study. Uh, what, what brought you onto that? You were, you were going just fine with Jersey city, yeah. Newark, building up your rental units. Why not continue that? Why did you switch gears to a completely different asset class within real estate? Because the way I look at what's happening in the economy, right? It's inflation happening. Um, you know, you look at the overall number, 70% of Americans don't have $1,000 saved to their bank account. So every time there's a correction in the market, who's going to get hit first? It's going to be the homeowners, the homeowners. Your, you know, your luxury A rentals that people are paying three, $4,000 a month, they're going to have vacancies. You know, the class A move down to class B, class B move down to class C, class C move down to class D, and then after that, you're homeless, right? So I'm at the bottom of that pyramid, and I'm just collecting everybody coming down. So I'm recession-proof because I'm in the affordable uh, home housing market, you know what I mean? So if you leave one of my apartments, your next step is a tent in the corner. You know, or, or a cardboard box. <laughs> right, um, so right. I'm, I'm kind of just recession-proofing my entire portfolio that way. So if you like so you got every rung covered that way. Yeah, exactly. so, that, that, so that was like, there, there was a macro perspective uh, of the economy. Yeah. And that's what made you 
jumping to mobile home parks. Exactly. And then you you also recently got into last time we spoke, uh, Airbnb, right? Yeah. And that's become pretty hot with short term rentals. Uh, as of late, there are people that are doing Airbnb arbitrage, which is basically take somebody else's property, go into a lease with them, and then rent it for more, so that you know they're still on the hook for the lease but they're renting at a higher rent amount with the short-term rental and, um, and making money that way. And then I think you're buying your own properties, right? Yeah. You, you talk about the, the transition to that and how you've been building out that segment of your big business. Yeah, I was, actually, that was funny because I was, you know, I, my parents, my dad, you know, we've been going down the Wildwood since I'm like seven years old, literally every year for seven of my entire life. Yeah. And I was down there and um a lady posted on facebook i'm selling my four family house 375. i was like okay i, I was i wasn't gonna do airbnb i was like i just buy it rent out three apartments and just keep one apartment for myself when i want to go down there um so i was like all right sounds good i went there looked at it i bought the property i gave her what she was asking and then one of my friends he's like yo dude you should do airbnb i was like i've never done it He's like, so he kind of mentored me because he owns a few properties in Newark that he does Airbnb with. And he showed me his reports. He was making $7,000 a month off two apartments in Newark to people flying into Newark Airport. I'm like, damn, what the fuck? You know, I was like, if that's the case, I'm going to try it out down here. So the property came with three apartments, two apartments occupied, two apartments vacant. I was like, all right, you know what? The two occupied units cover my mortgage. So my Airbnb... It's complete profit. It's just crazy. So I was like, well, let's go in. We'll renovate the units. We furnish them. It might have cost us, I don't know, 20 grand, 15, uh, 25,000 to do all that. And I was like, well, let's give it a shot. So we set it all up. He helped me set everything up. And we made on the two units $55,000 over the summer. That's like, crazy. Oh, man, this is just the summer. That's not even the rest of the year. That's I mean, year. Well, That's just New Jersey the... gets really cold for six months, right? But yeah. still, it's. You're yeah. good. You're so good. that worked out well. So I was like, okay, my mortgage is paid. That's $55,000 I just made in three months. Yeah, so nice. now we bought another what, six. What was your salary, by the way, when you were a teacher, if you don't mind me asking? $38,000. You made seventeen k more in three months doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. Not even, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, Interesting. That's, that's I was making $945 every two weeks. That's after taxes and unions and all that crap. Insane. And yeah, I was still driving Hondas till like maybe four years ago. Um, so we bought we bought that property. That went really well. So now we're converting the other two units into Airbnb. So that property should gross us over $100,000 for the summer. Uh, so nice. we just bought two more properties. We bought another six family. A few months ago, we bought that one for $440,000. And three weeks ago, we closed on another six family for $550,000. Right now we're sitting on six six twelve uh 16 doors in wildwood and that's for, specifically for the airbnb yeah so we're, we're probably gonna average about twenty five thousand dollars per door times 16 so it's about four hundred thousand dollars gross uh, how, how are you sourcing these deals uh through brokers uh mls so we have some brokers down there that obviously they know we close uh so as soon as a deal hits the market boom he calls me um so that works really well um, we found, like I said, Facebook is the first one I found. Some lady just posted. It was funny because she received an offer. She was asking 375. She received an offer of 425. 
from one of my students. So I was teaching through my course and mm -hmm. she ended up taking my course. I'm taking my offer because she, you know, she was like, oh, you felt more confident and like you were going to close the deal. Um, again, anything you do in life, it's all about the way you perceive yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so she ended up taking our offer and we got that deal also. But, you know, for 16 doors to gross $400,000, that's a home run deal. Um, you know, home run investment. So it's, you know, double digit returns for sure. You know? So what what's your overall company look like today? You've got the, the rental units, 300 rental yeah. units. You've got the Airbnb, which you're continuing to build out, yeah. right? You've got, um, uh, what was it? The mobile home parks. Yeah. And that, that requires a little bit more because you have to travel out of state, get on a plane, you know, look at the stuff, uh, the asset yeah. and all of that. What do you like out of the three the most? And is there other stuff? Uh, are you syndicating multifamily? Uh, also, yeah, we're starting our first syndication now on the hunt. Well, I really don't need to syndicate it because I'm going to put, I'm putting in a million dollars of my own funds. Um, mm -hmm. But it's 110 units that we're buying in uh, Illinois. It's literally a 10 minute drive to St. Louis, Missouri. Mm -hmm. um, and we're buying 110 units. I think we're paying $3.2 million. Okay. So we're just about $32,000 a door roughly. And What's the play on that? Seven, huh? What's the play on that? Is the value add that you're going to... Yeah, there's value add. There's, and then um, bump there's up some the rents. Need to be renovated. I would say probably like twenty percent of the units need to be renovated. The rents are below market, um, so there's definitely a huge value add component there. And my goal is, and like I told any investors who want to come in on the deal, um, this is a long-term play. My goal is to have cash flow. You know what I yeah. mean? So we're, we're going to hold this for 10, 15, 20 years. Got you know it. Yeah. So if we did, can, we so can did you have to 20 years, it's a hundred and we're at a thousand dollars a door at that time with inflation. That's $118,000 a month yeah. gross on a paid off asset. So this isn't yeah. for you. This is for your grandkids. This is for yeah. your kids. And yeah. that's what I, that's how, I, you know, when I work with partners, whenever I do, I was like, listen, I don't care about you and me. I'm worried about my kids, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm worried if something happens to me, I'm going to take care of your kids. Something happens to you. You take care of my kids. And that's yeah. the way I operate. You know what I mean? So, nice. and that's for the investors. If you don't know, if you're not looking for a long-term play, don't invest in my deals because we're not going to ask our refinance anytime soon. We're not going to sell this property. This is strictly build a 5,000 door portfolio if you want alongside with me and we're going to live, you know, live the good life. If not, go elsewhere, you know? Nice. So. Did that, the mechanics of that deal, did you have to do a PPM? Did you do a 506C? Yeah, we have to do a PPM. So we're, we're accredited investors only, 506C? Yeah, 506 year credit investors only. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't want, you know, Aunt Jane calling me every 10 seconds. Hey, how's my $20,000 doing? You know, <laughs> I need somebody who understands how investing, you know, you're not going to drive me crazy. Um, so again, that one there, I think we need what a one point, you know, $3 million raise and I'm putting in a million of my own funds. So I'm just bringing some small investors just to see, you know, test the waters with the processes and stuff like that. But well, you so, got most of your money in there. Most of my money on the LP side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So cool. Awesome. Now talk, uh, Mel, a little bit about the worst deal that you ever done. The worst deal was, I'll tell you a few, a few worst deals. I lost a shitload of money on it. Uh, <laughs> most of them were flips, really. So, yeah. And they were all during election years. <laughs> so don't flip houses on election years. Um, yeah, one was when the market crashed in 07. Uh, Cause I was buying properties in Jersey. I had a bunch of units in Jersey city. That's like the brick, you know, that's the foundation to my business. And then we, we were building McDaniels in Bergen County. And then when the market crashed, 
Um, you know, we took a we took a bloodbath on one of them. Um, we're actually, you know, and it was actually my fault because I had it listed for 1.2 million. I had an offer for a million dollars. I said no. I owed about 800,000. I was like, no, I'm gonna wait and wait for my 1.2 million. And then the market just took a shit. And I ended up selling it for 705. So I took wow. a bloodbath on it. But again, I really didn't care because the next month I had another twenty, thirty thousand dollars coming into rentals. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, you gotta, yeah. you know, you got risk, right? Um, yeah. And then the other deals I had two in Westfield, um, and then you know I had my appraiser come in. He's like, yeah, the numbers look good. Um, uh, well, then what happened was then I realized, I guess Westfield's broken up north and south, right? So when I did the appraisal, yeah. the north side comps were much higher. My mm. properties were on the south side. And mm -hmm. I learned the hard way that you're not going to get that kind of money on this side of town. And then I'm losing yeah. like another 80 or $90,000. And that was also election year. Um, but again, you know, shit hits the fan and you're not going to win every single time. Yeah, it's not, it's not all pretty uh, out there. No, it's not. A lot of times <clears throat> that doesn't get talked about, but we have to talk about that because yeah. uh, you take some wins, you take some L's. And uh, as long as the W's stack yeah. up and they're more than the L's, then you go, but you've done it a very smart way because you have uh, basically created other revenue streams through your rental properties that allows you to kind of like go in the lab and, and work with these other properties. And you're like, all right, if this works, great. If it doesn't, I still got 20, 30, 50 grand coming in on the side here. Yeah. And, and, you know, my bills are still paid. Yeah. So you, it's almost like R&D for you. In a yeah, way. Exactly. So you come across, I mean, I'm kind of like this. My brother's very different um, that uh, I'm more of like ready, fire, aim. Like this looks good. Let's go at it. And then we can find people that will give us answers on how to figure this thing out. Right. Where he's like, oh, no, let's just take it one at a time. Let's just build this. So what, what's like your philosophy on how you approach business and how you open up new revenue streams? Uh, everything I do is really a calculated risk. You know what I mean? Yeah. At, the end of the game, at the end of the day, no matter what you do in business, it's numbers, right? I don't care yeah. if I'm selling cars, houses, you know, bar soap. It's just a calculated numbers and risk. So to me, it's just a matter of hedging that risk. How are you going to hedge that risk? Is, you know, if I, is it 80% in my favor making money or is it 80% in my favor losing money? Um, so again, it just rolls down, rolls down to hedging, you know, calculating that risk and then jumping on it and see what happens, you know? So it's like, I got 95% chance of losing my money in the casino. I'm not going to the casino. You know what I mean? So, so it really just boils down to numbers. Okay. Okay. No, I, I see that. What's the, um, what's your company look like today? And like when you start in the, like on a Monday, yeah. right? What are you like overseeing? And looking at what are all the different, um, you know, uh, divisions of your business today? Um, I really, you know, I, the past few years, I kind of, I used to be like a control freak, right? Um, I'm not a control freak anymore. Like I literally might work 10 hours a week, mm -hmm. 10, 20 hours a week. My guys kind of run the whole show. You know, even nowadays, if I tell them, hey, listen, I'm going to meet you on the job site and help you unload a truck, they start yelling at me. No, go home. Get out of here. Um, so they kind of run. I just learned to build the teams. You know, I learned how to, you know, manage the teams and give them punch lists of what needs to be done. So I might visit a work site maybe once a week, once every two weeks. And, 
my guys kind of run the entire show. And even with like Indiana, we built a team out there with the mobile home park. We have an on-site manager. We have an on-site man, um, uh, supervisor who does all the repairs. And then we have a team that comes in to do the electrical, the footings, the new homes and stuff like that. Uh, so it really just boils down to team building, really. Um, I kind of perfected that. So I kind of work on, you know, finding the deals now. You know, just my job is finding the deals and, you know, raising the capital if I want to do more syndications and whatnot, really. And that's really it. So I can that, that's, And that's the harder stuff. Like that's stuff that you can't delegate necessarily, right? Exactly. Yeah, I really can't delegate that. So what we've been doing the past few months is like building relationships with commercial brokers, you know, putting our systems in place with commercial brokers, email campaigns, text message campaigns, um, stuff like that. And we've been getting some decent deals crossing our desk. So right now we have, like I said, 110 unit that we're purchasing in Illinois. And we have a 212 unit down in uh, Charleston markets, a little sub market down there uh, that we got a decent deal. Uh, South so, Carolina. Yeah. How did so, that one come on your radar? Through a broker that was a uh, pre-market. So it was a guy that I've contacted a few times down in that market. Um, he was actually a deal that I found in Sumner, uh, North Carolina. Uh, mm -hmm. We put a deal together. I was driving down to Florida. I was like, I'm going to stop down here, take a look at this property. Um, and the seller didn't disclose to us. Um, what they disclosed in their OM didn't match what the tenants were telling me. So the numbers were completely skewed. Uh, so we went back and asked for a huge price reduction because it was probably like sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year that was added to the bottom line to our underwriting, oh. which made a huge difference. And that didn't work out. But then he called me back. He's like, "Hey, listen, I got another one. It's off market. It's same owner on three different buildings. A total of two hundred twelve units. And I think we're buying it for like maybe forty-seven thousand dollars a door. And right now they're below market rents. They're about eight hundred dollars, and they easily go for eleven hundred dollars." Uh, so wow. has owned it for about 20 something years, older gentleman. Um, so it works out, you know, worked out great. Uh, so we'll probably do a capital raise on that one for like, you know, a few million um, and see how it goes. But that one's a home run deal because it's, you know, it's basically everything you look for in one of these assets, you know. What's your, what's your capital years. stack on that? You're raising about 30% is the equity and then the bank. 30, about 35%. Yeah, 35%. 35%. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> I wanted to, Carmelo, I wanted to double back on your team. Um, I think I obviously do operations in our company. Yeah. And with scaling, what most people struggle with is finding the right person and having yeah. like the right philosophy of hiring the right person mm -hmm. and making sure that they're in the right position. So overall, like when you hire someone, what are some of the boxes that that person has to check off? And like, well, what's your overall philosophy? Check employment history. But what I do is like, for example, the mobile home park, um, working in a mobile home and working in a house are two totally different things, right? Yeah. You're kind of like repairing a car that's, uh, that's a house compared to a regular apartment. So what I do is like, I bring the guys in. I was like, you know, let me know what you're going to do in this unit. What's the first thing you're going to do? You know what I mean? I already know what needs to be done. done. I just want to see what their train of thought is. And if mm -hmm. they kind of fall in line with my thinking process, then I give them a shot. You know what I mean? I let them know, hey, listen, you're here for 90 days. We're going to try you out. I'm going to pay you great fucking money. I need you to go out and start finding some guys to help you. You know what I mean? I can't pay them. I'm not going to pay them $1,000 a week. $1,000 a week in Indiana is like fucking home run. 
You know, yeah. rent out there is like 600 bucks. Um, mm. So I'm going to pay you fucking New Jersey prices. But I need you to fucking take care of this place like it's your own. And, mm. you know, we went to like two, three guys. And finally, the, the, the third guy is fantastic. You know, I mean, he feel he got kind of guys coming in and out. He's doing what he has to do. He's happy. His kids are getting fed. You know what I mean? So, so, so part of it is... is you take care of them to take care of you. That's what it boils so down part to. of it is making sure, you know, they're fed, they're taken care of. And yeah. I, I assume that, you know, you're hiring fast and you're also firing fast. Yeah. And sometimes you have to just go through people to get to the right one. Would that exactly. be fair? Yeah. We do weekly meetings. Yeah. Yeah, we do weekly meetings. So, you know, we meet on a Wednesday. This is what needs to be done between now and we talk to you next week. Yep. You know what I mean? And then this needs to be done for the following week. And, and you know, the first two guys weren't executing all that great. And the last guy was, you know, so. And you usually find like one linchpin who's got some more people in his circle and he brings the rest of the people in. Yeah, I try to look for people that have, have history in construction, have, you know, working construction for numerous years. Because yeah. really all they got to do is make a phone call. Hey, I need some guys yeah. over here. You know, so, line out the door. So he has, you know, hey, listen, bring two guys part time. You don't have to be, it doesn't have to be a full time gig. You know, we might have to do two mobile homes in the next three weeks. You know, they can work between five and 10 p.m. if they want to, you know, and you'd be surprised. Like people out there are totally different than out here, man. They, they want to, it's a red state, right? It's not a Democratic yeah. state. They, they want to um, work. No, without that, work. we did, we did uh, 115 properties in Toledo, Ohio. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember taking those trips and hiring the teams out there and, and things like that uh, and building the infrastructure there so that we could really literally run it from here in New Jersey right off of our laptops yeah. right because with with this and with the, you know with all the apps and software that you got you could run it from here but um, you hit the nail on the head like there they want to work they want to get out there uh, and they're very like appreciative of you yeah. too right um, yeah. and, and there's this feel of like pride that you're bringing back like labor into yeah. what might otherwise be dead markets. A question about Chicago. So oftentimes, you, um, Illinois, oftentimes you hear like that's one of the worst states as a landlord to invest. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose that for your first syndication with that one 110 unit? Well, like I said, New Jersey, same thing. It's not a great state for landlords. You gotta learn how to yeah. work the systems, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that one there is literally in the St. Louis MSA. And St. Yeah. Louis is a red state. Yeah. And they have a huge influx of population in St. Louis. So I'm 10 minutes to St. Louis, literally 10 That's minutes not. by car. And in St. Louis, a two bedroom is 1800 bucks. I'm 10 minutes away at 750. So again, if there's a market correction, guess where they're coming to? You know yep. what I mean? So they're coming down, down my path. And again, we're, it's a workforce environment out there, you know, in the, yeah. in, the kind of, in, the, in the Illinois market that I'm in. Um, so again, we're working with, you know, some Section 8. We're working with your Amazon workers. We're working with yeah. the, you know, the, the guys stocking shelves and stuff like that. So yeah, that's what, what, other, what other industries are um, anchoring that market? Basically, the same, I would say St. Louis is very similar to New Jersey, right? Or Jersey City. Um, so it's like buying in St. Louis is like buying in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and then you go yeah. over the bridge. Uh, but out there you have everything. You have education, you have hosp hospitality, hotels, you got a few universities, you got hospitals, you got med it's it's a huge city. It's yeah. not, you know, it's you're not in the middle of nowhere. And even with our mobile home park, Evansville, it's a big city too. 
you know? Yeah. And we have this philosophy as well. When we look at properties, we typically try to stay within like a 45 minute drive to a big metropolitan area. And I'm guessing that's the theme you also follow, where if you're going to, is that like one of your big investment criteria? Yeah, we definitely got to be within a major MSA. Um, you know, I'm in New Jersey, so if I got to drive 10 minutes, that's a long drive, right? But yeah. out there, 45 minutes is that's normal. Is not, yeah, yeah. That's like, oh yeah, I got to go to the fax machine. Like it's 45 minutes away at Staples. Right? Yeah. And it's funny because one of my friends I went to elementary school with, his father played for the Jets, and um, <clears throat> he moved out to Nebraska. So he actually sold me a property that his grandmother owned here in Hackensack, and. I had to send him documents and stuff because he was handling all the paperwork. He's like, oh, well, the nearest fax machine is 45 minutes away. I'm like, dude, what the fuck do you live? Like in the goddamn boombox? He's like, yeah, that's how it is out here. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, you know? But then when I started investing out of state, I'm like, yeah, that's that's real, man. That's that's their lifestyle. I, I, just, got out, I just got back from Houston. And Houston is like a never-ending strip mall. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's an interesting place. And uh, tons of land, like Texas, We've got a got a friend out there. He, um, you know, he says that if you can't make it in Texas, you can't make it anywhere. Like, yeah, yeah. They have no zoning over there. You, you buy a piece put of whatever land, you want, put whatever the heck you want. On. Really? Like, it, I, that was my that was my reaction too. Because we stood in front of city council. We've taken architectural plans, zoning like, boards, all of this stuff. Houston, you, you could take a, a single family, turn it into a four family. And nobody's gonna exactly. Really? It didn't oh, compete man. for me. And he's like, "Man, do you guys have to go through this stuff in New Jersey? You need to move out to Houston because this is what we've got, you know, over here." So people are doing like build to Airbnb, build for rent, uh, like left and right because land is like everywhere. Yeah, over there, you know. Um, now, crazy. what does what does your company look like in the next five to ten years? Right. My goal is to get to like. You know, three, Let's say next five years. Huh? Let's say next five years. I would say three to four thousand apartments if I can. That's my goal. So right yes. now we're under contract on three hundred. Uh, hopefully by the end of year end, I would like to be at six seven hundred units. Yeah. And if I can keep six seven hundred units a year, I think that'll be you know where I want to be at. Again, you know. So again, and, and it's it's crazy because you know sometimes I sit here with my wife and I'm like why you know what i mean i'm like yeah. why am i doing this you know i don't have to i can yeah. sit back and relax you know i got the cars i want you know i got the house i want i was like my kids don't have to worry about nothing but you know what am i gonna do i just i go to the gym a lot more often now um, <laughs> um but you know really i guess you, you, you i'm competing against myself right so it's like okay i just want to you got that urge to do better and better and better you know what i mean so I told my yeah, wife, I don't I'm think they're, 44 I, I, this year. I'm 45 this year. I buy 50. I want a private plane. That's my goal, I guess. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think if you're on the people have this like uh, delusional thinking that retirement or financial freedom is like you just stop doing anything. And yeah. You watch the grass grow. And I think that's when you actually start dying. Yeah. Uh, exactly. You need to stay active because your yeah. brain is constantly been pumping and solving problems and creating value and, and things like that in the marketplace, right? Yeah. That's what gives you life. Like that's yeah. why we get up and we get yeah. up with a different sort of zeal on a Monday than most other people, right? Yeah. Like we don't exactly. have the, we don't have the Monday blues or whatever. Yeah. And, and um, you go back to, and I go back to like my dad, right? He was, you know, he retired at 61 years old. You know, he came to America at 32. 
and retired at 61. He didn't, he didn't even work 30 years in America. You know, he owned a few rental properties. The employee he was working with is like, we're, you know, we're closing up shop. He's like, well, I'm not going back yeah. to work. You know, he didn't yeah. speak English. He's like, I'm not going to apply for a job. And, you know, th thankfully he's 61 and he died at 81. He had 20 years to spend with his family and my grand and the grandkids. You know what I mean? So yeah. at, the end of, at the end of the time, at the end of the day, it's like, you want your time, you know, who the hell, I mean, God forbid Absolutely. he had to work for 78 and die 81. What we're, a we're here for this life. amount of, yeah. Like here's you know the I mean? timeline of the planet, right? And we're going to be this like little speck on there. This is all we're going to have. Yeah. You want to spend all that time working? Yeah, no, exactly. you want to have a meaningful relationship with your kids, your wife, all you of that. That's those what grandkids, he literally, he babysat all the grandkids for 20 years. All those yeah. years he was telling me, watch well, that, all the right, that's, that's that immigrant advantage. You come hungry, yeah. you come with ambition. Yeah. Right. And you understand like what this land gives you. And, and I learned because like, my, my dad always wanted to buy more real estate. Right. And then my mom was like always worried. She's like, no, 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 no. What if it goes bad? What if? And so many deals that they had ended up backing out of literally last yeah. minute losing the deposit because she would drive them crazy. Yeah. You know, like, you know, we're not closing on this. I'm, I'm too scared. And he would have owned a hell of a lot more real estate, but yeah. you know, he still did well at the end of the day. Uh, Let me ask you again, this. It's a time, you know, it's a time. I, I, I don't know about in like, like in the Italian tradition and heritage. Like, is there a like we have this big time, like a chip on our shoulders with our dads. Like mm -hmm. we want that, you know, that I'm proud of you, son. But it's like mm -hmm. it's extremely, extremely almost impossible to get. So, you know, your dad saw you go through so much success. Yeah. Was there a point where you could see he looked at you and like, Mel, you did it? No, he was always proud. He was always proud. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, so, man. He was uh, always happy that I did the real estate. You know, when I bought the nice cars, he's like, oh, man, good job. He loved cars. He, <laughs> when he was in Italy, man. He had so many. He was always swapping cars out. And he's nice. like, oh, man, that's a nice car. You know what I mean? I was like, see, Dad, I told you you should have bought in Jersey City. You know, because he didn't buy in Hoboken because it was dangerous in Hoboken during his time, right? Um so yeah, yeah, he was always very proud. So that's uh... Joey just messaged saying that my dad never given up. Joey, that's why uh, Indian and Pakistani and Chinese dads are on those memes, yeah. right? Like when, when we come home with an A, they're like, "Why not A plus?" Yeah, right? yeah. So that's what it is. Point nine. Happened at point one. Yeah. All right, cool, man. So it's it's been a enlightening conversation. It's been awesome. Learned awesome, a lot man. more about you. I know we've met on a couple of. Uh, yeah. panels and conferences and things like that but mm -hmm. but this was great and again um you know our condolences to your family Thank uh you, we have it. a little bit of time um yeah. for some q a so i'm going to run yeah. down and, and people can start putting it in there so let's see from the let's take it from the top okay um uh, did he cover short-term rentals at airbnb anything i should look out for anything people should look out for when it comes to short-term rentals at airbnb airbnb yeah like i said i know i um i was mentored my friend who's done it a few times <clears throat> he helped me out a lot uh, but you really want like you know back to the section 18 you think people are going to destroy your place right airbnb people could destroy your place even worse than a section 8 tenant will um so you definitely want to make sure you know, if the person who's booking, why are they booking? Why, why, you you know, why are you visiting? How many people, if it's like Labor Day weekend, a Memorial Day weekend, it's a group of eight adults, you know, it's going to be a party going on in there. Um, if the person, you know, is, you know, you have an Airbnb in Wildwood, New Jersey, and the person is renting, lives in Wildwood, New Jersey, why is he renting a place? He just wants to throw a party in your place. 
Um, so you really want to screen them just like you screen tenants, right? So mm -hmm. like I'm buying stuff now, I'm looking for some stuff in Miami, but I'm not going to South Beach because South Beach is party central, right? I'm going to go to Miami North Beach because it's more family oriented. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like to buy in family oriented places because that's who your demographics going to be and renting those places. I don't want to go to Daytona Beach, Florida. I can buy Daytona Beach, Florida condo for $99,000, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to rehab it a thousand times. You know what I mean? So it really, we want to weigh out your options and really know, again, if you want to get into rentals, you want to do A class, B class, C class, D class. What's your forte? Same thing with Airbnb. Do you want to throw parties in your place or do you want to be family oriented? And, you know, obviously it'll work out better that way for you. So. Great answer. Um, Frank, uh, sounds like he wants to lend to you. Seems, uh, sounds like a private lender. Does anyone, anybody or Carmelo do joint ventures for rehab projects where the investor provides some cash down? And then with the loan, Carmelo would make money on the rehab and or on the sale. So it sounds like you obviously do that and you provided your um, info for that. Um, especially for investors not residing in the same area or out of towners. Okay. Uh, Samira asked, what systems software and apps do you use to manage your accounting tenant maintenance and leasing different software or all in one yeah we use appfolio and it does everything for us so it manages the tenants and manages the leasing <coughs> service requests bookkeeping yeah it does everything for us it, and it's really a little expensive it might cost us maybe six to eight hundred dollars a month depending on the fees um, so you really want to own mid, I think as I say, minimum 60, 70 doors to yeah. make it worth your while before you get into Appfolio. Well, yeah. there's other ones out there. So yep, tenant cloud is another good option. Yeah. Um, do you have a property manager running your Airbnbs or manage the high volume of guests going in and out? No, we're all self-managed. So our systems does everything, and we have a virtual assistant that helps with uh you know, responses, everything's, if you want Airbnb platform, you can literally set up auto responders for every time of, um, for all the, like say, for example, the day they book, thank you for booking with us, blah, blah, blah. Here's, and we use different apps also to integrate with Airbnb to give you the door codes and all that stuff. And then the day before the booking, hey, listen, you're, you're checking in tomorrow. I need a copy of everyone who's 18 and older IDs. So it's all automated on that end. Um, really, the only thing we have to manage is the cleaning lady. And she's also on our Airbnb um, uh, system. And she sees who checks in, checks out when that happens. Um, we also put in our calendar and CC her in the calendar. So she sees on her phone that tomorrow's a check-out and check-in. And then we also send her text messages. My assistant sends her text messages the day before the very check-in. So she knows which units need to be done. So she's getting hit three ways. Um, yeah. Make sure that unit's going to be ready for those guests. You know, right. so that's going to be your biggest um, question, you know, person is your cleaning people. And she came to us recommended uh, from another Airbnb host. She's like, well, I can do the units for a hundred dollars each. I was like, no, I'm going to give you 145. How's that sound? And she's fantastic. You know what I mean? So nice. people want less and I give them more. So <laughs> I was like, and they're more, more than willing to work and bust their ass for us, you know? So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right. In the middle of the season, we gave her like a thousand dollar bonus. She sends me a bill for like 200 bucks. I was like, here's 1200 bucks. And she was grateful as hell. You know what I mean? So awesome. 
What's the best negotiation tactic you can advise to use with off-market sellers? Negotiation tactic with off-market sellers. Negotiating tactic with off-market sellers. You know, I, I again, what, you know, with everything's visual, right? So when we break things down, we break it down via numbers. So if you're going to list with this person, you got to pay 6% commission or, you know, they're going to, you know, take a credit for repairs or it's an extra four months to close and four months in closing, you know, carrying costs. So we literally break that down in a two-sided chart. This is how much it's going to cost for you to close with a real estate agent or a broker. And this is how much you're going to save with us. Um, you know, with our offer. And then usually the bottom line is going to equate to almost the same number net with a broker. So that's really how we kind of break down. We, you know, if I sit there and explain it to you, it's, you're not going to make any sense of it. And the seller's not going to make any sense of it. So we literally put it in black and white on a piece of paper when we meet with them and we show them the numbers in black and white. Then they're like, oh, you know what? That makes sense. Okay, Mel, we'll go with you. You know what I mean? So that's really the best way to do it. Okay. Really McDonald, he's got a really good one. Hey, Mel, if you had to start over today, would you pay for leads or keep it organic like you did? I never pay for leads. Um, leads is basically a relationship business, right? So I'm meeting with brokers. I'm meeting with sellers. I'm meeting family and friends for referrals. Like I send out, you know, when I first started, Hey, I buy real estate, friends and family, you know, every 45 days, you know, 30, 40 people, my friends and families, we get a text message. I buy real estate, you know, then I built a rapport. I'm a real estate agent. I'm a real estate broker. So I've been in the business for 20 something years now, 20 years plus probably. And um, so brokers that I've worked with, Remax, Coa Banker, Exit Realty, um, they know what I do. So they always contact me. So again, you're building that relationship. Passive brokers I worked with, they get a text message from me every 20 to 45 days. Hey, you got any deals? You got any deals? It's Mel. Sell to Mel, sell to Mel, sell to Mel. You always want to catch your line stuck in their head. So I've never paid for leads. And the ones that I did pay for sucked. Um, so really, you just build them organically, man. That's, that's that. Um, is there a way that you determine like what realtor you work for and what broker you work with? Who, me? When I was uh, licensed? No, just even now. Like, is there are there certain realtors and brokers that you work with? How do you determine, like, that's a realtor that I'm going to do business with? Or that's a broker that I'm going to do business with? Yeah, that's a question from Yoheda Nolasco. So um, she's asking, how do you determine which broker and realtor you're going to work with? Because if they got a deal, I buy it. I don't care who the hell they work with. They could work with Jason <laughs> or brokerage. Um, yeah, I really don't care. As long as the deal yeah. comes to me. Your numbers got at yeah. the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, that's really real. Both the numbers. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna say, hey, listen, she's hot. I'm gonna buy the Conley and I'm gonna buy the property from her. <laughs> Trust me, I've done that in the past. I'm like, hey, it's a good looking agent. Let me call her. You know what I mean? Um, but great the question. Day, is, did you make numbers. money on those deals? Probably not. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't think they even found me any deals. You know what I mean? They just yeah, dragged me around. Think, I mean, think with this head. All right, yeah, what's exactly, the easiest yeah, exactly. property? What's the easiest property to get started with? Multifamily. What's that? I'm, What's the easiest type of property to get started with? Do you recommend multifamily, single family? Uh, like I, I always tell my students at the end of the day, it's like, listen, you're building a house, right? You're building a foundation to a business. And to me, you know, I did some flops and I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. But I wouldn't, if I didn't have the rental portfolio prior to losing two, three hundred thousand dollars, 
I'd be divorced and bankrupt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so to me, it's like, you know, start small, build, you know, three family, four family, six family, start building a little portfolio where you're making a few thousand dollars a month that if you flip a house and you lose 40 grand, you're not worried about it. You know what I mean? But I see people will start flipping and flipping and flipping and flipping. And then the next thing you know, the market takes a shit and now you, you know, you don't have a business anymore. Right. Or I see people, they do one flip that made 50 grand. They take the 50 grand. Now they're doing two flips. Now they're, all their money's tied up in two flips. They sell those two properties. They got $150,000. They're taking $150,000 and buying five properties to flip. The market took a tank. Guess what? You wiped out completely. You got nothing to show for Done. it. Yeah. So what I did is I'd buy rental properties. Then I started flipping properties. I literally took every dollar from my flips and bought apartment buildings. I'd flip some more, bought more apartment buildings. I was doing real estate sales or Remax, Coal Bank. I was closing seven deals a month on average. That's $7,000 commission check per deal in Bergen County. That's $49,000 a month, okay? And I would buy apartment buildings. I would drive a Hyundai. I lived in a two-family house for 16 years. Like, I would drive a Hyundai, and I'm sitting on millions of dollars in real estate, right? Yeah. And literally, in my driveway, I had a Hyundai and a Lamborghini. <laughs> my wife came home. She was like, whose fucking Lamborghini is that? I was like, I bought it. You know what I mean? She didn't even know what the hell was going on. She was still working a full-time job. Yeah. Um, and she's like, well, how'd you get a Lamborghini? You know? <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, it's like, you just got to take the money and reinvest it and reinvest it. But if I would have started with flips, flip, flips, and then the market took a shit, yeah. you broke, right? So yeah. you're hedging. You're, you're no, hedging super yeah, exactly. Risk. You bulletproofed your entire business by having passive cash flow. Exactly. And, and as I was saying, like, that became like your R&D, irrespective of where the economic cycle was. If, yeah. if it did good, did bad. You know, exactly. and, and you took calculated risk. So most yeah. of them did good anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Somebody's asking, what are some good areas for multifamily in New Jersey? Man, I today, today everything, man, everything's so overinflated. Uh, the simple yeah. way to answer that is wherever you can find a deal. Yeah. Uh, just about. To me, it's really, bought, you know, you got to keep in mind, right? Two things are going to happen right now. We don't know what's going to happen, but the two things I can speculate is number one, the Fed is going to determine what's going to happen in the market. So if they jack up the rates, we're in an inflationary period, right? The 70s into the 80s. If you go back to the yeah. 70s and 80s, the rates spiked up from 11% Monday to 13, 14% Friday. Okay. Because right. the Fed had to curb inflation because it was running rampant. So my parents are buying properties in the 70s. You know, they were buying things in Bergen County for $75,000. But then that same house in the 80s, was a buck fifty two hundred thousand dollars because an inflationary period, right? Now we're in that same predicament again. Now we're seeing the same thing happen again. It's like, okay, we're having this inflationary period, but what's the Fed gonna do? If they're gonna spike up the rates, they're gonna stall the economy, and mm -hmm. the commercial real estate's probably gonna take the biggest hit um, because that's really based on numbers, right? So that's why I tell my investors, we're in for cash flow. That's basically what it boils down to. I don't plan on cashing out, refinancing this at eight percent rate. In yeah. a few years. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. Or number two is the rates are going to go up. And guess what's going to happen? Inflation's still going to happen. And then the rents are going to go up. So it's going to make up for those interest rates. So it kind of core, it kind of you know work together and, and seamlessly together on the inflationary part. So who knows what's going to happen? We don't know, right? But at the end of the day, if the deal cash flows, who cares, who cares what's going to happen? I think that's you're in the cash flow business. So if it makes 12, 13, $1,500 a month and you paid 700,000 for a three family house, 
Who cares? You made them, you, yeah. you catch them all. You know what I mean? You can't look at, I, uh, this happened in 07, and I bought a lot of deals, even in Jersey City in 07, is landlords like, well, I paid 500,000 for this four family in Greenville. It's worth 250. And you just walk away like idiots. But it was a cash cow. It was a complete cash cow. But mm-hmm. then it's stuck in their head. They're like, well, I'm losing money. No, you're not losing money. You're still cash flowing two grand a month. Why would you do that? But, you know, it's going to happen all over again. And you just got to take advantage of it. So don't look at what you're buying and what the price is. Look at the bottom line and what the cash flow is. Because if you overpaid 10 properties and you're cash flowing $2,000 a month each, that's $2,000 a month. Who cares if your net worth is negative $200,000 or $300,000? You're making 20 grand a month. No one else is. You know what I mean? So. And that net worth only matters if you sell. Right. Exactly. Like like a stock. But, like if you're the if you, but if you're getting the dividends, who cares for now? Exactly. And it'll it'll go up during that inflationary period. Exactly. Um, Tom, Tom, welcome. Uh, Tom Angelucci is always uh, active in the real estate community. Mel, when doing a capital raise, is there a minimum investment? What's the ideal amount? Fifty thousand is the minimum. Yeah. yeah. With the credit the, investors, especially. Yeah. Yeah, fifty thousand. Um, yeah. You know, if somebody says, hey, Mel, I got 25 and I know you, I know you well enough and I know you're not going to drive me crazy. Then maybe I can, you know, yeah. we leave it in our PPM to have the ability to change it. Um, yeah. But, you know. But, but so guys that give you 20, 25,000 that have 25,000 questions throughout the yeah, year. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So if you know, somebody like cut you our investors lately have been doctors, really. I've been doing yeah. a lot of cardiologists. Um, then Mel, I want to invest, um, you know, some how are you, investors. How are you finding them? How are they coming to you? Just the doctors that I've dealt with. My brother works for Rolls Royce Bentley. So a lot of his clients are doctors and business owners and stuff. So we're meeting with, you know, having dinners with them and discussing what we're looking to do. Um, my cardiologist, I have my rent money, had my rent money shirt. That's all he, he doesn't even know my real name. He calls me rent yeah. money. Um, <laughs> so he invested in me, um, my yeah, primary nice. doctor. So yeah, just, you know, it's. You'd be surprised, you know, how easy it is to raise capital. And again, usually, you know, I have a portfolio already. I show them I'm, I'm literally at, elf, you know, 50% or 40% LTV on my entire yeah. portfolio. I'm not over leveraged. So yeah. I was like, hey, shit, it's a fan. I've got plenty of equity to pay you back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, nice. A um, few people are asking, you mentioned your students a couple of times. Can you yeah. share info about your program? And we're big proponents of that. We, yeah. we say don't stop at our program. There is so much that you can learn from another educator and another educator. So make sure that you continue, you know, to get along your yeah. knowledge journey. Uh, Mel, mention your program and where yeah. can people I find it. I just that. do it like, cause I always get people all the time, Mel, you know, I want to learn about real estate, whatever. I was like, all right, I'll do it. I literally do this maybe two times a year or one time a year when I feel like doing it. Uh, but it's uh, REI for dummies, REI, the number four at dummies.com. And um, it's it kind of, I just basically go over what I've done in the past. Uh, what to look for, how to hedge risk, you know, reading the markets, like the Warren Buffett indicator, yeah. uh, what the Fed is doing, the 10-year yield, how to understand those. Because I didn't understand that in 07, right? If I did, I would have seen it coming. Um, mm. But I didn't. So I was like, hey, great, let's go through flipping houses like an idiot. And then, <laughs> boom, the thing takes a tank, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then building the portfolio, you know, building, starting with a three-family and building that up and then going to bigger deals. Um, yeah. and doing Airbnbs and whatnot. Um, so my point, you know, you're not going to get, I tell them day one, you don't get rich overnight. This took me 20 years to do. Um, mm. But again, if you want to, you know, 
10, 15 years and, you know, spend the rest of your life with your kids, then you'll do fine. And I tell, and I, and I told one student, he was like, my wife doesn't want to buy, you know, I was like, he's, I'm buying a house and my wife wants to buy a single family and I want to buy a three family house hack. I was like, dump your wife. You'll get another wife when you're rich. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Move on. That's it. You call it a day. You that could be a day. Then that, you can't that, invest. No. Well, yeah. that could be another T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You just go to the T-shirt business. You got a lot of sayings. Um, <laughs> what kind of return can be expected on a 50K investment? Somebody's asking. Rocky. On a 50K, we get your preferred 8% usually. Uh, then after that, it's a 70-30 split. So it usually comes out to maybe total investment between 17 to 20% IRR um, over the term of the you know, term. So it's not yeah. it's a decent deal. It's nothing crazy, but you know, but for people who understand, you know, got money. Is it, it's bank. better than leaving in the account. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the bank. Exactly. You Perfect. know, so it works out pretty well for the investors. All right, Mel, that was uh, pretty much the last question. Any parting words that you have for all the folks that were uh, listening and that came on today? At the end of the day, man, it's just about if you're looking to do real estate investing, number one, you're not going to get rich overnight. And it's really about you, you know, getting your time back. At the end of the day, life is very short. You know what I mean? I'm already 44 years old and hopefully I got another 40 years left. Half my life is gone already. And I want to enjoy that time. I don't want to work with we'll those cashiers at 75 years old, flipping up, working because they can't make ends meet. So you don't want to, you don't want to become filthy rich. You know, you probably can if you want to in this business. But at the end of the day, if you build a small little portfolio, you can enjoy life. You know what I mean? That's what it boils down to. So it's a great message. You know, you want to do, you see Grant Cardone and all these big shots. Yeah, you can do that. But my dad did a great job with a few units and he enjoyed life and spent time with his kids. And that's yeah. what you want to get out of life, you know? So There's a, there's a trade-off on all of that. And time's the yeah. one thing that you're not going to ever get back. Now, I, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Anytime, uh, God bless you guys and your family. And you're always like, you know, willing Thank to give man. and make that trip when we do our uh, in-person meetings and stuff. So you've always Anytime. been a huge... Uh, Asset and blessing to the first generation. I'm first generation. I know where we come from, bro. Let's do it. For sure. Awesome, guys. I appreciate you, man. All right. Thanks so much.